Okay. <clears throat> Hello. There we go. Hello. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to do that one more time. Ooh, okay. That was a good one. This doesn't make any sense. Is my voice really low? I can't tell. Ah. I'm Olivia. And this is my master's thesis, but it's a podcast about podcasts. I'm a master's student in the Communication and Culture program at Ryerson University in Toronto. And I like podcasts, which came out of nowhere. And if you're listening to this, you probably do too. When I try to think about podcasts and the podcasting medium as a whole, conceptually, everything seems simultaneously so simple and so complex. Like, what is that about? So I have a lot of questions about a number of things, like how we interact with stories in podcast form. What's the relationship between learning and education and podcasting? What are the communities and or relationships that can form out of podcast creation and listening? And when people say that podcasting is intimate, what does that even mean? I can't with that word anymore. And I think the best and really only way to start to address these questions is by talking with people in the podcasting space. So that's what I did. I think it is a new form for something very old. Hmm, what is a story? Because I, um, I, I feel like, when did that ever happen before? You're only doing that thing because you like it. And that's where I think community also comes in. But I think that there is a just as deep need to be communicated to. I spoke with podcast creators in release and almost chronological order. James D'Amato, Hannah Sung, Pippa Johnstone, Justin McElroy, and Nanaba Duncan along with a number of podcast listeners, to make around eight episodes exploring these questions. I know that this is a bit of an arbitrary divide. Creators are also listeners, but I wanted to get insight from people whose primary way of engaging with podcasts is through listening as well as creating. And also, it's important to remember that podcast listeners are part of what makes the whole thing possible. As I've kind of already mentioned... Our conversations are mostly looking at three overarching topics in podcasting. Storytelling, learning and education, and companionship community. I imagine these topics as a sort of triple Venn diagram, thinking that, broadly speaking, every podcast could probably fall into one or multiple of these categories. I tried to structure each episode around one of the themes, and even though I knew we'd probably diverge from them a little— I very quickly learned that everything is interconnected, and it can be hard to talk about one of these concepts without the others in podcasting. So because of this, each episode will have a main focus, but will also touch on other themes as well. Also, I want to make it abundantly clear that this project is not meant to be wholly representative of all thoughts about and experiences with podcasting but is a little exploration of some of podcasting's overarching concepts. There were certain people I was hoping to talk to and things I was hoping to do that were understandably impacted by COVID-19. For example, I ultimately decided that the listeners I interviewed should be from my Toronto circles, because asking people I didn't know to do me a favor and record remotely in their closet with a towel over their head did not seem like a great move. <laughs> I did not explicitly ask for that. One of my friends did do it, though. So, 
I'm no expert, and with each interview I do, I am learning more and thinking about these things in new ways. And you, as a person who is listening to a podcast about podcasts, probably have just as many thoughts and questions as I do about podcasting. So, once I've released all of my interviews, I'd like to ask you a question. And maybe that will be a site for us to think about some of these things in more detail, or to bring up things I wasn't able to include. But that is for later. So if you're eager to get going and listen to the interviews, I understand. But I do think some context is important. So I'm going to put my teaching assistant hat on, and this episode is going to be what I'm calling Podcastology 101, Intro to the Medium. We're going to go over some of podcasting's basic informative concepts, characteristics, and theories. Sort of like an oral synthesis of literature in podcasting studies. But hopefully not a boring one. (laughs) This will include some things that a lot of us may already know, whether consciously or subconsciously, but maybe you didn't put them into words before. Or maybe you didn't know there was widespread acceptance of these ideas. Or maybe it confirms what you thought. But with that, I click the proverbial clicker to start the slideshow. Starwipe. Okay. It's hard to play guitar under a blanket. Quick history recap. The very beginnings seem a little murky and contested, but here's what I've gathered. In the early 2000s, software developer Dave Weiner made it possible for people to distribute audio and video using an RSS feed, quote Wikipedia, a web feed which allows users and applications to access updates to websites in a standardized computer-readable format, end quote Wikipedia. I swear that's the last time I'm going to quote Wikipedia. RSS has stood for a few things, and one of those is really simple syndication. August Trometer and Ray Slikinski are said to have created one of the earliest and most user-friendly podcast aggregators, or podcatchers, called iPodderX. This allowed for creators to form their own personal feed and for listeners to subscribe to feeds they were interested in. Then, when creators release new content, it would automatically go into the listener's tailored feed. So then people could listen to these audio files wherever, whenever. As Shakira might say, sleep, that's the wrong order. This is still pretty much how podcasts work today. The beloved name podcasting comes from journalist Ben Hammersley, who in 2004 published an article titled Audible Revolution in The Guardian. In the article, Hammersley talked about this new medium and asked, quote, but what to call it? Audio blogging, podcasting, guerrilla media, end quote. And so it was the portmanteau of iPod and broadcast that seemed to capture our collective imagination. Three more dates to keep in mind that shaped podcast consumption and engagement. 2005. iTunes released the Apple Podcast app. 2007. The iPhone came out, meaning podcast consumption was no longer limited to iPods or your computer. As more people started using smartphones in subsequent years, and more people discovered convenient podcast listening, audience numbers started to steadily rise. 2014. I think you know this one. Yeah, I see a hand. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Serial comes out. The podcast hosted by Sarah Koenig, and it generates this kind of perfect storm. It's long-form storytelling that was released all in one go so you could binge it. It's 
true crime, which apparently there's a large appetite for. And it was advertised on the popular program, This American Life, which was able to bring in an influx of people right at the start. And suddenly, podcasting is propelled into mainstream consciousness, beginning what academic John Sullivan describes as podcasting's transition from a DIY amateur culture to a mass medium. Oral footnote. From this point on, whenever I say someone's name, know they're an academic, unless I say otherwise. It feels weird to call them an academic scholar every time. Also, I've linked my bibliography in the description if you want to look at their articles. End of footnote. Okay, now let's talk about some of the characteristics that have shaped how people conceptualize and interact with podcasting. At first, it was heralded as fundamentally democratic. Philip Dearman and Chris Galloway called it revolutionary and a, quote, bypass technology, end quote, because people could distribute their own content and bypass formal institutions. There are no, quote unquote, gatekeepers. So in its most idealistic framing, podcasting puts audio media back in the hands of the people. But we will get to whether or not that's actually true in a second. So because of this perceived limitlessness and autonomy, the medium provides opportunities for voices and perspectives that may be excluded from other forms of media. It also provides room for experimentation, in-depth conversations, and long-form storytelling. Chris Markman says podcasting is a part of prod usage culture, producage, produce it, which is a portmanteau of production and usage, also known as user-generated content culture, where listeners and audiences feel encouraged to be creators as well. Um, Apparently, people really liked portmanteaus in the early 2000s. Podcasting is accessible in the sense that all you need to listen is access to the internet and a device, but also accessible in that it has a low barrier to entry, meaning making a podcast could be relatively simple. I beg to differ! But also at its most basic level, People can record themselves using a smartphone or a cheap mic, do little to no editing, and upload it to the internet. However, it's worth noting that this initial framing of podcasting as democratic and revolutionary has faded a bit. It's awkward breath. Writer and Hot Pod newsletter creator Nicholas Kwa has identified three eras of podcasting. The first being the pioneers, the second the boom years, and now we're in the era of big podcasting. Tiziano Bonini and in a different article, Richard Berry, note how the medium became less democratic as it became more commercially viable. As celebrities, brands, public broadcasters, and other media organizations flock to the medium, independent producers have a harder time being heard, finding their audience, and getting appropriate compensation for their work, kind of undermining this basic tenet of democracy. Also, not everyone has easy or any access to the internet or a smartphone to listen and record on. And as bigger players come into podcasting, listener threshold for good production value increases, meaning people might not want to listen to not great audio quality, even if the content is good. And the sound and listenership of the podcasting medium has traditionally been and is still largely white and university educated, 
Fotini Vricky and Sarita Malik invoke the work of Lisa Nakamura and Peter Chow White. In the intro to Nakamura and Chow White's collection of essays, Race After the Internet, they write, quote, In the spirit of neoliberalism, being permitted to exist is not the same as equal representation. End quote. It seems like most forms of new media follow this trajectory. They're heralded as revolutionary, and then capitalism seeps in, and other factors, inequalities, and barriers are made visible. The same was likely said of blogging and YouTube in their early days, and people are kind of saying it of TikTok now. So the podcasting space may not be as utopian and idealistic as people initially thought, and there's still a lot of room for improvement. But it also is and has been a really valuable tool and resource for a lot of people, and it still has a lot of potential for good. Okay, now for another discourse that has shaped how people think about podcasting. In the first decade of podcasting, there was a lot of debate over whether it was just an expansion of radio, like whether it was internet radio. Now academics have pretty much settled on it being a distinct medium a new oral culture, in the words of Linares, Fox, and Barry. I mean, there are obviously some similarities, but also some foundational differences. A number of these differences hinge on levels of autonomy and control. With radio, your role as an active agent pretty much ends once you've turned it on and chosen the station, other than, of course, listening and processing the information. But after that point, you can't control the content you're getting. Whereas podcasting is an opt-in and time-shifted medium, meaning it's defined by the choices you make, like how you curate your feed, what you choose to listen to and when, whether you skip forward or back, whether you pause it uh, or you're just playing it all the way through, and even at what speed you're listening. Richard Berry says there's been, quote, a move in power from programmers to listeners, end quote, in podcasting because you have the ability to control how you listen. Virginia Masden says that radio listening oscillates between, quote, attention and distraction, foregrounding and backgrounding, end quote. But podcasting has a more intensive listening feel and is maybe more foregrounded because a lot of people listen with earbuds and headphones. My thought on why podcasting remains in the foreground is because you always already have the capacity to control it. You miss something, you go back. Your phone rings, you pause. But with radio, you have to give up a level of control. So if something interrupts your listening or you get distracted, the radio goes on without you. It's worth me mentioning that I am almost as much a fan of radio as I am of podcasts. But I consume them in different ways. I love radio for its timeliness and immediacy, the knowledge that my mom is listening to and will probably text about what we've heard later, the serendipity of me not knowing what I'm going to hear, and because I'm exposed to topics I may not have thought to click on on my podcast app. They're like eyebrows, sisters not twins. Sorry, <laughs> I can just take that out. Another way that Richard Berry differentiates the two forms of media is by saying that radio has intimacy and podcasts have hyper-intimacy. Which leads us into what some may frame as the defining characteristic of the podcasting medium. It's intimacy. 
When you ask someone to tell you about podcasting or ask them why they like it, I guarantee this word is going to come up within the first 30 seconds. I mean, it did for me, for sure, at first when I started to talk about podcasting. And there are a number of different components that factor into this characteristic. I'll start by dividing it into two categories, intimacy of listening and intimacy of the content itself. But they are by no means mutually exclusive. They intersect and they build off of one another. Let's start with the intimacy of listening. Almost immediately when this is mentioned, it's tied to listening with earbuds. People seem a bit entranced by the idea of someone else's voice having a direct and physical pathway into your ear and your brain and your attention. But I think it's important to note that other ways of listening can be equally as intimate. Intimacy is not contingent on a piece of plastic sitting in your ear. Gross. Why'd you phrase it like that? I personally almost never listen to podcasts with earbuds. I like to listen at home, when I can at full volume on my phone, carrying it with me as I go into different rooms. I feel like this is equally intimate, because I'm treating these voices as very real, distinct entities. I'm incorporating podcasts and people's voices into my environment, along with all of its other sounds and components, just as I would with another person in the room. Or the radio. In comparison with earbuds and headphones, your listening is a bit more hyper-real, because you create a bit of a barrier between your listening and attention and your physical environment. You're taking one of your senses out to tune in, as opposed to having a more holistic listening when you combine it with the rest of your environment. This is not me demeaning podcast listening with earbuds. I'm just kind of tired of hearing it as the ultimate and highest form. Okay, back on track. In tandem with the physical intimacy of listening, there's also the structural intimacy, if you could call it that. That is, the routinization of podcast listening. The incorporation of podcasts into your life and routine to the point where they can almost become central to or inseparable from certain tasks. You probably know what days of the week your favorite podcasts come out. And you probably know that feeling of devastation when you forget your headphones at home and you were hoping to listen to something. Or the disappointment when you thought that an episode was coming out and it didn't. You may tailor your routines to fit certain podcasts. And also, podcasts may tailor their routines and schedules to you. Most daily news shows like The Daily, Front Burner, and Today Explained average about 20 to 30 minutes because that's apparently the average time it takes for someone to commute. This is an intimate thing. Podcasts are not just part of your life. They can be entwined with you living your life. This isn't something most forms of media can do. The closest parallel is probably music, and still, obviously, a lot of differences there. Also, hearkening back to our podcasts versus radio comparisons... Podcasts via your smartphone are more portable, accessible, and mobile. You can take them with you as you interact with the world, and as such, they have the capacity to inform how you perceive the world. Robert McDougall says podcasting, like music, has the capacity to function as a narrative track to your life. 
Sarah Florini uses Michael Bull's research to talk about how podcasts can produce audio enclaves and oral cocoons for listeners. Florini looks specifically at how podcasts with Black creators and hosts can create the feeling of Black social spaces and suggests that the oral cocoon produced by podcasts could give Black listeners, quote, the chance to feel insulated by Blackness as they navigate the world, end quote. So podcasts have the potential to function as a sort of portable community. Immersion is another intimate component of listening. With binge and backlog listening habits, it's possible that for anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks or months, you could be almost exclusively listening to one podcast, one set of voices, one story. And then during this period, and likely thereafter, your life is shaped by this intense listening and intimate connection. Through all of these different aspects of listening, you can see why listeners can very quickly start to form an attachment to certain podcasts, people, and voices. And this attachment can play a role in your life. Whoa. Okay, on to the intimacy of the podcast content itself. So I cannot and do not want to essentialize all podcast content into one monolithic category. Even if I did, it would be nearly impossible since a lot of academics acknowledge that the podcasting medium operates under the logic of the long tail graph, which is not an exclusively podcast concept. Chris Markman describes the long tail, quote, traditional hits still dominate at the head of the curve, but they now compete for attention with an increasing array of niche products populating the tail, end quote, meaning a lot of podcast content is niche and targeted to hyper-specific audiences, as opposed to being widely popular and universally beloved. The abundance of niche content could also explain why podcasts can facilitate such intimate connections. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts to choose from. It's very likely that you'll find something out there that you can thoroughly appreciate and connect with. Some of the prominent characteristics that people value in podcasting are the documentation of process, along with senses of relatability, realness, or authenticity. A lot of hosts are very candid and share personal details about their lives and stories, partly because they may be recording in an intimate setting where they feel comfortable and have control over their own narrative. And since there are no time restrictions, episodes can be as long and explore topics as deeply as they see fit. What some of these descriptors seem to be getting at is that podcasting seems to emphasize and project humanity. And at the center is the human voice. What? You're joking. Stacy Copeland notes how there is an individualistic yet universal quality of the voice. Part of this is related to vocal nuances that you can hear and relate to. And they give you a lot of insight into the mind of the speaker. Like noticing their particular intonation. Whether the speaker is annoyed quizzical, in agreement with something they're listening to. And then there's that beautiful moment when you hear a smile. Or maybe there's laughter, <laughs> breaths, hesitations, ums, um, and silence. Laughter especially facilitates an intimate connection, and it often gives you this feeling of existing in a space with friends. You probably know that one telltale meme that says, how I feel when I listen to podcasts 
with the person laughing with a poster of people laughing and eating ice cream. Yep, that's me. Grounds for a sort of relationship start to form out of these intimacies. And relationships and communities in podcasting are not just imagined. They can manifest in a number of ways. It could be through venues for feedback, suggestions, online methods of engagement, question submissions, live shows, and also through fan art, creations and cosplay, Facebook listener groups, and meme pages. And if listening to these people becomes embedded in your everyday, I don't think that's an imagined connection. But we are going to delve into that a lot more deeply in later episodes. Podcast content is also delivered and consumed in a way that is completely different from almost every other form of media. Journalist Jonah Weiner writes, quote, Staring at a laptop or tablet for hours on end exacts a physical toll. Podcasts present a way to re-enter and move through the natural world without logging off. In an antidotal and almost paradoxical way, podcasts are the internet freed from pixels. End quote. Damn, that's cool. So, podcasts have the connectivity afforded by the internet, but the interface is not really the screen, like it is with text or images. The interface is the human voice. And thus, the intimacy. The end. Wow, we've made it. Thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned, I provided a link to my bibliography in the description to confirm that this was all, in fact, based on my research and a synthesis of literature, with a lot of my thoughts, interpretations, and framings of that research throughout. Yay! In terms of going forward, I'm going to release a new episode every week over the next seven weeks, and... I'm really excited for you to hear them. I had some really interesting conversations with some amazing people who were very kind and generous to give me some of their time and thoughts. And yeah, I'm excited to hear yours as well. And with that, that's the end of this one. <laughs>